Hello, my name is Philip Miraton, and today we are going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, the title of today's show is Missing Links in Evolution and Creationism. Charles Darwin, we may remember, said that we are descended from an ancestor common to apes, mice, and bacteria. In fact, common to all living things. This is the basic principle of descent from a common ancestor. On the exact opposite end of the spectrum, the book of Genesis, at least, it, at least as it's been interpreted through the years, says that we are descended from the hand of God. So we face today two stories that cannot be any different. In one story, which is the Darwinian story, we arose from dirt or a primordial swamp through happenstance, long, slow, gradual changes, a random outcome of chance processes with no direction, no purpose, and no goal. On the other story, we are the purposeful creation of an all-knowing God. And part of our problem, I think, today is trying to reconcile these two amazingly contrasting stories of our origin. But both of these stories have their own missing links. There's gaps in each of the stories. And so today we're going to be talking about those gaps with our guest, Jonathan Maxwell, who's the author of a new book called The Piltdown Man and Other Hoaxes, a book about lies, legends, and the search for the missing link. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Oh, thanks for having me. Okay, well, the reason why um, this topic is timely, I think, is because we, we're we living in a modern culture with all this fancy technology. We have the Large Hadron Collider. We have the Hubble Telescope. We have laboratories and, and Nobel Prizes and a lot of things we know about the world, but we haven't reconciled some of the biggest questions. We haven't reconciled this question about the origin of life, the origin of man, and where life is going. Now, you you wrote a book on the Piltdown Man, and you talked about how the Piltdown Man is one of the greatest scientific hoaxes of all time. And it might be good for the listeners first for you to talk about what the Piltdown Man is and why it's considered such an amazing hoax. Well, in my personal opinion, I, I believe that the uh, the Piltdown Man hoax is, is, is one of the most uh, significant uh, frauds out there, uh, not only from a, a scientific perspective, but a uh, historical one as well. Uh, it, it goes back to uh, uh, around 1908, I, I believe, uh, in a small uh, English town called uh, Piltdown. Uh, an amateur uh, paleontologist and professional lawyer named Charles Dawson happened to be passing by a construction pit uh, when he noticed uh, some bones. Uh, and the, the bones, they looked very, very old. They were very uh, brownish in color, indicating, indicating that they were very aged. Uh, and uh, the, the the bones consisted of um, uh, a very primitive-looking jaw that looked uh, very simian, uh, very ape-like. Uh, but the uh, the the other main bone was a a cranium that looked uh, very modern. Uh, Charles Dawson, being an amateur paleontologist, was uh, very intrigued. He examined the bones themselves, and uh, then finally he had uh, a professional scientist at the uh, the British Museum take a look at the bones, 
and uh, the findings were almost uh, universal. Uh, the British scientists proclaimed Piltdown Man to be the oldest man in history, which gave Great Britain the distinction of, uh, you know, producing the, the, the first man. And they, they seemed, publicly at least, they seemed very confident in, in these uh, pronouncements. Uh, however, uh, they had very deep, deep suspicions privately uh, about the authenticity of the bones. Uh, no matter how hard they tried to fit them together, uh, they couldn't. It was as if uh, the cranium and the jaw came from two completely different uh, primate species. And, and indeed, there was actually some private agendas uh, going on. Uh, one was the fact that the evolutionists, who were very new at the time, they didn't have a lot of uh, evidence, physical evidence at least, to support their uh, contentions that, you know, human beings evolved. And for them, despite the, uh, the, the the problems, despite the irregularities, Piltdown Man seemed to be, you know, physical proof uh, that, you know, human evolution had, you know, occurred. Yeah, yeah, just let me stop for a second here because I want to put, I want to put this in context for a second. And I, and I think it's important for folks to understand how important this is in the Darwinian evolutionary picture. And that is... Remember that if indeed humans share a common ancestor with apes, then there should be, according to the gradualism that Darwinian teaches, there should be some smooth transition between an ape-like being and humans. And so part of part of the mystery here and we read about it every every couple years or every couple decades somebody finds a new missing link like Lucy or something and and the idea is and, and what makes this exciting is that we have paleontologists going out there in the field and trying to find these missing links between an ape-like creature and humans and so the Piltdown Man if I understand this Jonathan the Piltdown Man was 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 supposed to be one of these links. Oh, it was supposed to be the the main missing link. It right. was the the bridge between uh, you know apes, uh, you know, and human beings. It was the uh, the perfect uh, missing link. But uh, you know, as time wore uh, wore on, uh, you know, the uh, the problems in regards to Piltdown Man became, uh, you know, more and more apparent. But I, I was referring to uh, agendas earlier, and there was uh, another agenda as well. Uh, one was the, the fact that uh, the Europeans, white Europeans, uh, they wanted to believe that they themselves were the producers of civilization. Uh, Charles Darwin, in his uh, book, The Descent of Man, had actually stated that human beings had actually emerged in Africa. Uh, but to these uh, evolutionists, uh, that wasn't quite acceptable, uh, despite the fact that it was actually sensible that humanity would have uh, emerged uh, from Africa, because, you know, that's where the, the great apes, you know, are from. But, um, you know, they weren't comfortable with his conclusion. They they wanted to believe that, that what Europe, you know, had to be the producer of civilization and that humanity uh, had to have emerged from, from Europe. So so for them, uh, Piltdown Man was the, uh, the best of both worlds. You know, he affirmed the importance of European civilization, and uh, he affirmed that uh, their ideas, their evolutionary ideas, were were correct. Uh, but but of, of of course they they weren't. Um, a, a new generation came forward, and and this was a generation of scientists did, uh, that uh, were perfectly comfortable with the fact that humanity could have emerged with with Africa. Uh, there was no uh, racism there. Uh, and, and furthermore, there had been other, 
you know, uh, paleontological uh, discoveries made, uh, such as, you know, Homo erectus, uh, as well as other human uh, finds or pre-human finds, that uh, seem to make uh, Piltdown Man less dispensable to the, the whole argument. And uh, eventually, this new generation of scientists were quite vocal that at long last, in the 1950s, uh, the British Museum released the uh, the bones to these young scientists, and what they discovered, uh, using a variety of uh, you know modern dating techniques, was was uh, quite remarkable. Uh, as it turned out, you know, Piltdown Man was a complete uh, hoax. Uh, the reason why the the bones looked so old was that they had been uh, painted brown. And, uh, you know, this was a perfectly uh, ordinary uh, pain. It could have come from, uh, you know, any uh, hardware store. Yeah. Uh, the jaw itself simply came from uh, a very modern orangutan, uh, you know, a, a few decades old. And the, uh, the cranium was, uh, you know, a, a modern human being. Uh, it's been suggested lately that the uh, the skull actually came from a uh, human being that uh, had been dug out of a uh, a local graveyard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the, uh, the skull itself uh, dated from uh, about the 1300s. Yeah. What 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 what's so? I mean, where where this is heading? And this is it's a multifaceted uh, story here. But but you know, for those watching this, I mean, it. Let's face it. It helps the Darwinian story if, if paleontologists find missing links, if they find the transitional beings, organisms, between different fossils or different living things. And so here we have uh, the, uh, Mr. Dawson finding this evidence with quotations on it of a transition of the missing link between apes and humans, and then, which which sounds really exciting, but then we have another set of scientists who start critiquing the finding and discover that it's really a hoax, which leads to the question, Jonathan. I mean, I mean, one one uh, angle on this, and I know this is what's what's fascinating about this story, which is that there are so many angles. But one angle is somebody wanted there to be a missing link to satisfy the Darwinian theory and somebody invented the missing link. That's, that sounds like, I mean, that's one spin on this, right? I mean, that's one, one reason why the creationists might, might at one time have been happy about this because it showed fraud. Oh, sure, but you, you have to keep in mind that uh, there have been very, various other uh, scientific uh, frauds that, uh, excuse me, not frauds, uh, scientific finds, you know, that are perfectly accepted by the uh, scientific community. Right, right. Uh, there were the, uh, the Homo erectus uh, discoveries uh, in, uh, in Asia. Uh, in, uh, in Africa, there was uh, the Homo uh, hapless finds, the uh, Africanus uh, finds. Uh, you know, Heidelbergensis and the, uh, the Neanderthals in Europe. Uh, all those various finds are still, uh, you know, perfectly accepted by scientists. And uh, most uh, scientists, uh, in spite of the, uh, the Piltdown Man fraud, which they now regard as an aberration, you know, they're still, you know, perfectly comfortable with uh, uh, human evolution. Uh, of course, uh, the uh, creationists themselves, who are still actually a very, very powerful group, uh, you know, they still tend to uh, fixate uh, very, very deeply on, on Piltdown Man. Uh, for them, uh, Piltdown uh, Man is just uh, absolute proof that uh, human evolution never happened. Uh, their way of thinking is that since uh, Piltdown Man was proven to be a fraud, uh, evolutionary theory, you know, has to be, you know, a fraud as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people, you know, might regard that as being, uh, you know, faulty logic. 
but it, it just tells you about, you know, the complexity of Silicon Man even now, even though it was proven to be a fraud uh, back in 1954, you know, the ramifications of uh, Tiltdown Man, you know, are, are still with us. Uh, if you go to a, uh, a conservative uh, website, right. uh, a religious uh, fundamentalist uh, website, uh, you'll see quite a lot about the Piltdown Man uh, just because of its uh, centrality. Uh, you know, for them, uh, Piltdown Man is, is, is simply proof that uh, human evolution never occurred. Yeah, well, well, you know what this reminds me of, There's, uh, which is two things. And uh, number one is the controversy that there was a number of years ago which is still going on over climate change and the whole climate gate controversy where the scientists uh, starting I believe in the UK were perceived to be fudging data supporting the hockey stick or supporting the effect of greenhouse gases on temperature and the climate and even though we know that there's a lot of science supporting climate change or supporting a human accelerated climate change. The science itself and, and climate change, global warming, took a real hit because of the suspicion of fudging or fraud. And, and I think that th this is th this, it's similar to the Piltdown Man. I mean, I would agree with you that the Piltdown Man does appear to be an aberration. It is an aberration, and there is, and there have been findings after the Piltdown Man that suggest some missing links. But, but I, but I think what this tells me that is very interesting is, and it comes up a lot in this show, is that people are people, scientists are are, are people, politics, emotions, pride, yeah. priority, uh, authority, Nobel prizes, recognition comes into play in the practice of science. If we think that scientists are some kind of saintly creatures that, that, that are all good, all, all just, and all honest, we're fooling ourselves. They have the same sort of, of character flaws that we all do, which is that we all like to be you know, head of the pack, uh, recognize, get the, get the awards. And it could be the, the Piltdown perpetrators were just getting ahead of themselves a little bit. You know, That's one possibility, right? I mean, it, it, it could have been just a joke, too, as you, as you point out in your book. Uh, oh, sure. And, uh, you know, adding to the, the mystery is, is the fact that the uh, perpetrator, you know, was never located. Right. Uh, Charles Dawson was, uh, you know, uh, oftentimes he is regarded as a perpetrator, but you also have to understand that there's no direct evidence that... Uh, uh, that pinpoints him, uh, you know, as the uh, the master mind uh, of the fraud, right. and uh, there are actually several uh, perfectly legitimate re uh, reasons which uh, suggest that uh, you know he was uh, an honest dupe, uh, just like the other European scientists, yeah. dupes who just happen to lose their objectivity. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, a lot of hoaxers uh, commit the hoaxes uh, because they, they want money, but uh, Charles Austin was uh, a member of the upper class. Uh, you know, he, he didn't need any money. Uh, you know, a, a lot of hoaxers, um, you know, they, uh, they crave uh, some sort of uh, fame. Right. Uh, well, Dawson was uh, already famous. He was a very uh, prominent uh, uh, lawyer in Britain, and uh, in spite of the fact that he was almost, uh, he was he was uh, only an amateur paleontologist, he he was quite, uh, you know, uh, quite well known in this area too. Uh, he had actually uh, named a uh, discovered and, and named a Cretaceous mammal. So uh, it, it seems very un unlikely that a man of this distinction would. Uh, jeopardize his career and his reputation simply to uh, perpetuate a hoax. Yeah, that's 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 uh that's that's very an interesting observation. I just want to point out here that this is uh, Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Jonathan Maxwell, the author of the new book Piltdown Man and Other Hoaxes, 
a book about lies, legends, and the search for the missing link. And stay tuned as we're about to get into some of the missing links in evolution and creationism. Now, I sort of interrupted you there a little bit there. Uh, this, the story of Charles Dawson, which, you know, is strangely similar to Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin, yeah. Which, which, which itself is a little coincidental. And I always think that, you know, Richard Dawkins, uh, who is, you know, Charles Darwin's most um, modern advocate, most forceful advocate today, is also of the same of the same type of name. So who knows what that means? Probably nothing. It's it could just be one of those coincidences. But but one of the one of the interesting things, you know, when I was doing some research for this show and I looked up, you know, the number of people that believe in creationism, evolution, and then there's a middle ground that some some people believe in evolution with a theistic or a god-propelled background. And and this this the Gallup poll the, rec- the most recent Gallup poll said that 46 percent of Americans believe in creationism, 32 percent believe in theistic theistic evolution, which is uh, there is evolution but God started it or guides it, and only 15 percent believe in evolution without any divine intervention. And this this is one of the this is what I was saying at the beginning of the show about one of the amazing conflicts we have in our modern psyche is that Darwin is probably the leading scientific figure well he's definitely the leading scientific figure in biology definitely the leading scientific figure in evolution but despite all the scientists who line up to support him only 15% of the American people believe in evolution without the divine intervention how, how do you account for that uh, well, that's uh, you know that that's a complex question. It, it's actually been uh, speculated that human beings are simply uh, wired for spirituality, and and there is some evidence for that because if you look at uh, virtually every culture uh, in the world that has ever existed, there has been some concept of a god. Or a god, not necessarily the uh, Judeo-Christian god, uh, but uh, you know some sort of uh, uh, you know higher being. And uh, it's funny. Uh, one of the earliest uh, human beings, the Neanderthals, uh, you know, some of their graves had been found, and we're going back about you know 150,000 years, but some of their graves had been found. Uh, where all the uh, the deceased possessions were buried with them, uh, indicating that there was a belief, uh, you know, in in something after uh, the life that that we live in. There was a belief in an afterlife, uh, and given all the ceremonies that seemed to be involved with these funerals, there was also a some sort of belief in you know a higher power as, as well. Uh, uh, yes, there's, there's certainly the uh, the idea there. There's certainly some evidence suggests that uh, we as uh, human beings are simply wired for spirituality. Uh, we, we've always been concerned with you know what goes uh, on you know after this life uh, has has been ended, and we want to believe. In an afterlife, we want to believe in some sort of uh, divine moral justice. We also want to believe um, in some sort of, you know, higher being that uh, that protects us and uh, you know gives our uh, lives meaning. There, there are many reasons to, uh, you know, actually uh, believe in a God. Well, well, you see, th- this this is this itself is probably the. The, the best part of this topic in my mind because you use the word wired for spirituality and when you think about it that's really mixing metaphors because wired assumes that we are machines with computers with wires in our brain and spirituality of course is something that is immaterial at least it's perceived to be immaterial and so when we say that we're wired for spirituality it's, it's almost assuming that we're machines who have this false belief in spirituality and then, and on other shows, I've, I've had, I've, you know, we've had this conversation, which is whether we're really machines to begin with. 
And so personally, I think the problem is, see, it, just, to, just to lay my cards on the table, I think both Darwin and creationism are wrong. I think they're both incomplete. And I think that's why we have this conflict in our, in our psyche. Um, the, the, the problem that I, one of the many problems I have with Darwinianism is the, no, is, is the absence of transitional forms. And, and this is something where I actually think the creationists have a point. Now, I don't, I don't agree with their conclusion. And the point is this, and that is, if there was a gradual evolution, then we should be seeing a lot more transitional forms. And everybody agrees with that. I mean, everybody, even Darwin and Origin of the Species said that, and Dawkins says that, and J. Stephen Gould says that. Everybody says it. But science right now is looking for the transitional forms. It's sort of, it's sort of they're saying, well, they're really there. We just haven't found them yet. I'm saying my, my position is that the absence of transitional forms sh shows that maybe gradualism is, in, is not correct. And so, and so, you know, I'm, we're moving beyond this a little bit, but, but the point that I, I really want to make here is that what's, what's most important is that I, I am not a big advocate of just accepting Darwin as true and not true. questioning his own theories. And I, again, I don't want to, th the, the problem in this, in this conversation, in this line of conversation, though, is that we're so is that we think about it in a, in, a, in a dichotomy. You're either a creationist or you're a Darwinian, as if there's no middle ground, you know. And, and I, I think that, that, that is a real, that's a real shame uh, because I, I know of no rule engraved in stone that says uh, that the answer to life is a multiple-choice question. It's either yes or no. How about a maybe or how about a third choice? Oh, sure, but just keep in mind in uh, Piltdown and other hoaxes, you know, there was, the, there was another amateur paleontologist who actually became, uh, you know, regarded as a scientist of some uh, renown, the uh, French scientist uh, Deschardins. Now, one interesting thing about Deschardins, aside from the fact that you know, he was an amateur paleontologist who, you know, became uh, so respected by other paleontologists, professional paleontologists, it was also the fact that he was also a, uh, a Catholic uh, monk, uh, you know, uh, a religious figure. Uh, and he actually, not only did he, uh, you know, combine these beliefs, uh, you know, he blended both Darwinism and creationism together. Uh, he also believed that uh, one could not have happened without the other. Uh, he believed that uh, God set evolution in place and that uh, evolution uh, actually reflects a, a sense of divine order. So it's not always, you know, opposing camps. Yeah. No, uh, I, no, no, I, I would agree with you, and I think, I think that the, 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 the role of Del Jardine, or however you pronounce his name, Jardine, yeah. Yeah, Jardine in, in the Piltdown hoax is really amazing, because uh, uh, Del Jardine is actually one of the most uh, compelling um, characters in the 20th century. And, you know, he folks is the origin of this omega point which a lot of people have heard about but maybe don't know what it is but but he wrote th the book the phenomena of man where he essentially took darwin as true he he said that there was ev you know that uh, from the dirt man arose and then from the brain or man the, the, uh, the intelligence arose or consciousness, and consciousness is going to continue evolving until it reaches the omega point, uh, some kind of unity of consciousness, which, which I, I would agree with you, Jonathan. I think that that is another way to look at it, and I don't necessarily disagree with Del Jardine. I mean, I think he made a lot of good points, I, and, and, and when you read his book, it's as if he, he thought he was being very scientific, you know, he, he didn't think, sure. I, you, know, you know, I read his book, and I, didn't, I thought, you know, he wasn't off on some kind of mystical, you know, speculation. He, he, he was trying to be very logical, obviously, as you point out. 
he had that Jesuit religious background, and so that influenced him. But but it's it's really amazing that that from Darwinianism he was able to get to this omega point. Um, so I would agree that 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 was one way to to combine them. And I guess my point here is that as long as there's questions and mysteries remaining in anything, and in particular with the with evolution, the origin of life, the origin of man, that we should continue with an open mind and continue asking questions like a true scientist. That's that's really all I'm that's that's the point I'm making. And I, I'm not a big fan of anybody that says any anything creationist says is ludicrous. Because they actually have some good points. I mean, uh, the the whole, not that I've read a lot of creationism, although I have a couple books by them, uh, they, they do make some good points about, the, as I said, the fossil record and the origin of life and the mechanism of evolution, uh, but, there's, but there's gaps. There's gaps in a creationist story, which is how did, for example, how did the Almighty God somehow just magically make it all happen, you know, just flick his hand or whatever and... Out, out popped all the millions of species. So obviously there's a lot of gaps in the creationist story. Well, I, I, I think the number one problem is that the, the whole debate has been sort of hijacked by the radicals on both sides. Yeah, good point. It's the rigid religious fundamentalists on, on one side who make most of the comments, and you know, on the other side, uh, you have the the hardline, you know, atheistic uh, evolution evolutionists, and because they do most of the talking, because they've mostly hijacked the debate, uh, most of the people, you know, in the middle, uh, who I would say actually comprise the majority. Uh, you know they feel so intimidated uh, that you know they they don't see they don't say anything, uh, which I think is is a, a big mistake. And uh, I I, I, per, I see that uh, I think most uh, abundantly uh, in you know how uh, evolution is uh, presented in the schools. Now I live in the uh, the deep south. And just because of the nonstop rejections by, uh, you know, religious fundamentalists, uh, many, many uh, public schools in the South uh, never even teach evolutionary theory, yeah. uh, which I think is a uh, tremendous uh, mistake. Uh, on the other hand, considering that so many people, you know, are religious, and and scientists may say that that's simply because people are wired for for religion, but uh, since so many people are religious, I I see nothing wrong uh, with discussing the debate in the classroom, as long as we remind students that you know this. The scientists, the mainstream scientific view is that uh, yes, Darwin, uh, Darwinism is is real. That's how it uh, went according to the scientists. But there are other ways of looking at it, uh, and I, I think the most important aspect uh, is uh, the fact that okay, the hardline scientists uh, believe that God, if he if he even exists, you know, he had nothing to do with creation and. Uh, uh, then you have the idea that you know God is uh, responsible for uh, uh, for creationism and, and evolution and, and and what have you. You know, I I think a, a satisfying middle ground can be reached. I think that we can discuss uh, evolution, and I I think that we can discuss our you know own religious views uh, inside the classroom, just as long as there is some uh, mutual respect there. Unfortunately, very oftentimes in America, uh, there is no mutual respect there, which uh, which is another you know serious problem. I'm afraid. Yeah, I think you're exact. I think you're exactly right. And and this this is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with J. 
Jonathan Maxwell, the author of the new book, Piltdown Man and Other Hoaxes, a book about lies, legends, and the search for the missing link. And we're talking about the, the debate that still rages between evolution and creationism and whether one or both should be taught in the schools. Now, I, I, guess, I, I, I guess I would have two observations on this point about teaching creationism in the schools. The first point is that I don't think it's necessary. This is just me. This is my own view. I don't think it's necessary to talk about creationism in the school. I would be happy if, if when somebody gives any theory, whether it's the Big Bang, dark matter, or Darwinian evolution, that that we talk about the gaps in the theory, what we don't know, the mysteries that remain. And then people could figure out whether they're satisfied with the theory as it is or whether there's some other explanation that might help put the pieces together. I mean, the, 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 uh, the fact of the matter is, and this is, I think, what's most troubling, is that if you are a true Darwinian, you are atheistic. And that, that explains... You know, the Richard Dawkins books, uh, The God Delusion, and, da and uh, the book by uh, Hitchens, God is Not Great. When you carry Darwinianism to its logical conclusion, you, you have to be atheist. And, and that, I think, is what troubles a lot of people. That's why the Gallup, oh, poll, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, the Gallup poll that I mentioned um, said 15%, only 15% of people in the U.S. believe in evolution without divine, inter divine intervention. And when you go to the great scientists, I don't think that Darwin was an atheist. I think he buried it. I think that he, he believed that there was some role for an, a, a uh, supernatural entity or, some, or God or whatever. But, but then I go to the next stage, and this is where you know, we get a little radical here. See, I don't think that, again, I don't think the question is, is either Darwin or it's the God of the Bible. I think we need to evolve, uh, raise our consciousness, as Einstein would say, and start looking at these things with, you know, from a different perspective. Uh, I, I, I don't, th and this, this I think is why we have this, this fracture in our, in our modern psyche, where folks are not, I don't think folks are happy with giving in completely to Darwin. But then I don't think they're very happy with saying, well, therefore, Genesis must be literally true. <laughs> and, so, and, so, and, so, and so we're sort of suspended in this, in this, in this sort of confusing territory where, where it, we know they both can't be completely true. Or, or, at least we, or, or put differently, I don't think most of us want Darwin to be right. On the other hand, I don't think we want to, therefore, pledge allegiance to the, to the literal reading of the Bible either. That's, that was another way to put it. Sure. Well, you know, just keep in mind that um, uh, Einstein, you know, thoroughly believed in evolutionary theory, but uh, he never lost faith in God. Right. Uh, Einstein's ultimate position was, yes, the Big Bang could very well be true, but, you know, who lit the fuse? You know, that, that was right. ultimately, you know, Einstein's argument. Right. He, he, his uh, faith in God never wavered. And, uh, you know, Charles Darwin is, is um, you know, viewed as such an atheistic figure now, but uh, keep in mind that uh, when Darwin uh, was young, he studied for the priesthood. Right, right. And, you know, he never quite lost his, uh, you know, religious convictions either. Right. Uh, you know, and and again, you know, I, I have to refer back to the the hijacking of the argument by the uh, hardline uh, ideologues, uh, you know, who view the whole issue in terms of either and or. Right. You know, you know, if you believe in evolutionary theory, you you can't believe in God. Uh, you know, if you believe in God, then you have to reject, you know, absolutely all tenets of evolutionary theory, you know, which I, I think is a mistake. Uh, you know, uh, there's actually a lot of uh, middle ground. And, and again, I, I think we can agree to, to, to disagree in a, in a very 
you know, responsible, you know, uh, respectful manner. And uh, uh, keep in mind that uh, back in 1965, the Roman Catholic Church uh, decided that uh, Christianity and evolution were perfectly uh, compatible with each other. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, evolutionary science is necessarily a threat uh, to, uh, you know, uh, long-held religious traditions. I think that, uh, you know, as these scientific breakthroughs are made, that we, we just have to uh, reconstruct uh, religion a little bit. Uh, you know, it, it has to be uh, reformed in a little bit. And, you know, uh, Christianity uh, has reformed many, many times, and uh, it survived. Uh, you know, keep in mind that uh, for hundreds of years, uh, it, it was believed uh, that uh, the earth was flat, and uh, the Bible actually supported that position, and that the Bible supported the position that uh, the, the Earth was at the center of the universe. Uh, actually, that uh, those belief systems uh, weren't quite, uh, you know, uh, uh, actually what they were interpreting, you know, in the Bible was incorrect. Uh, the Bible has never referred to the earth as being flat, and the Bible has never referred to uh, uh, the earth as being the center of the universe. Those were just interpretations. But, you know, now we know that the earth is not flat and that it's not at the center of the universe. And for a long time, uh, many, you know, diehard Christians believe that those people who were saying such things were blasphemers, but eventually they came uh, uh, to be, you know, those ideas came to be, you know, validated. Yeah, I think I think you make and, and Christianity yeah, went on just fine, you yeah, know. Yeah, I, I think you make I think you make a really good point when uh, when you describe it as the extreme positions hijacking the debate, and and Lord knows we've heard of that before in 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 political circles we all sure. know the republican versus the democrats and the tea party versus the liberals i mean on and on and and it's and, 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 been hijacked by extremists right, i believe right right it make it makes for a good battle because you paint people as the most you know you put the most extreme folks together in a cage and let them duke it out but but in in science it shouldn't be that way the the point i want to make here about religion is that my my complaint with religion and why I do this show is that I think spirituality needs to evolve just like science has evolved. I have a problem with this with this uh, belief that you know these ancient scriptures are the only ones that are right the only that's the final word of God and nothing and God itself never changes or evolves. I think uh Del Jardine was on to something when he talked about the evolution of consciousness, the evolution of spirituality. And and my hope is that we we start seeing a sort of a development on both fronts, uh, i.e. spirituality taking a look at itself, looking at its basic beliefs, starting to critique some of those beliefs. And then we see science looking at some of the gaps in its theories, and we might reach a common ground. And in fact, that's what my book, my own book is about, The Heaven at the End of Science. That's what my book is about, how if we remove the assumptions of modern science, if we critique them, we start moving to a different worldview where we could understand some of the aspirations and beliefs of spirituality. Now, I want to bring this back to the Piltdown Man again, because th this whole thing goes in kind of a circle, which is that the Piltdown Man is so interesting because it shows it, it shows from one angle some early scientists or thinkers or Darwinians trying to find a missing link and maybe making some things up, and and you know. The motivation of these people to me is something that 
is 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 extremely interesting. And, and from your research, what do you think the motivation of the of the perpetrators was? Uh, it was actually a long list of items. Uh, one thing that they were trying to prove was that the you know the European white race was supreme. You know the right. European white race was the creator of of civilization. Uh, you know, and and even uh, the white race was uh, you know the beginnings of of the human species. Uh, another uh, uh, you know thing that they were trying to prove uh, was you know that their theories were right. Uh, they, they you know they were Darwinists, you know hardcore Darwinists. And, uh, you know, they, they wanted desperately to, to prove their ideas. And uh, Hiltdale Man, in spite of the irregularities, it seemed like good enough proof at its time. Right. You know, in a couple of decades, you know, that, that would change. But it, it's interesting that you would, you would bring that up. Uh, Hiltdale Man uh, is often served as a model for, you know, how science gets it wrong. Yeah. And, and yes, uh, Science, you know, does get it wrong from time to time uh, because, you know, scientists are human beings and human beings are still uh, fallible. Uh, sometimes they get their prejudice, uh, they allow their prejudice to, to uh, get in the way. But what's often lost is that uh, as far as the Piltdown Man affair is concerned, you know, in the end, science got it right. Uh, a new generation came along uh they were more objective more impartial uh they kept an open mind you know they asked questions uh they understood the debate they understood the irregularities uh they insisted on new research uh which resulted in new findings and you know Piltdown man was uh, discredited you know uh in the end you know science got it right uh so uh in some ways science took a beating from the uh, Piltdown man uh but uh ultimately the scientific method was was validated well well i think I, and i think i think that's the major point and that's what that's what um really separates science from religion at least uh from one level, which is that science has that self-correcting mechanism, where where you have to sort of run through the gauntlet of scientific experiment, theory, critique, peer review, before your theory hypothesis can see the light of day. It's not it's not the same for religion. Obviously, it's a lot different. But what happens to religion? is that some of the religious beliefs, such as the 6,000-year-old um, universe, from based upon the literal reading of Genesis, uh, that that particular belief is judged by the, by the methods of science and found, and found not to be true. And so where I was going and, and where I'm still at is that I do think there is nothing wrong with criticizing being of uh, uh, your your religious beliefs. If those are true, they should withstand questioning. And a sure. lot of you know, and a lot of people will say, "Well, uh, I have I have this intuition, I have this internal belief, and I I I think that is correct. I I think that that if if everybody, as you put it earlier, is wired for God or for spirituality." That might be telling us something about our innermost being, about what we are, as opposed to some kind of mistaken impression. So it really, it really is a, a fascinating topic. And so in closing, Jonathan, why don't you tell folks um, how they can learn more about your book and where it's available at? Uh, yes, Piltdown uh, and Other Hoaxes, uh, it's available at uh, Barnes & Noble and uh, it's on uh, Amazon as well. And, and I understand you're working on a, on, on a new book, a re, uh, having something to do with the Rolling Stones. Is that true? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, it's called uh, Tragedy at uh, Altamont, and uh, it examines uh, uh, a rock concert out in uh, uh, Altamont, California. It was back in 1969. 
and they make the uh, mistake of using the uh, the Hell's Angels uh, to uh, provide hmm. uh, security for the event, yeah. uh, which uh, which was a horrible, horrible idea. Yeah. But uh, anyway, there were uh, thousands of uh, drug overdoses, uh, thousands of beatings, uh, three deaths, and uh, one very uh, cold-blooded murder. And uh, for many people, uh, the event just kind of symbolized the uh, rise and fall of the, the hippie movement. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, well, 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 we'll have to be on the lookout for that for that book. And and I and I and I must say that when you read one of Jonathan's books, you're going to be in for a treat because he really researches the topic. It's it, you don't give a superficial. Uh, viewpoint here you really get into the sources and and I think your research carries a lot of authority and I, I guess in just in just closing I just want to I just want to say that it's important to understand that both the Darwinian theory of evolution and creationism have gaps there's theoretical sure. links there's there, there's missing links in both stories of of creation and uh, and the origin of humankind, and it's hard to argue with the scientific standpoint that our mission should be to look with an open, objective mind at these gaps and try to solve them with a logical, experimental, scientific mindset as opposed to just believing in things because somebody said they were true or somebody wrote it down in a book somewhere and and I think that gradually over time we're going to we're going to come to a place where we'll be able to reconcile the views of Darwinian evolution and creationism I think we're going to be calling it something else I think we're going to have to follow Einstein's uh, advice and reach a different level of consciousness to do that but again the key thing is that there's gaps in both theories but our goal should be to fill in the gaps with something that will stand up to questioning this is Philip Mirton this is conversations beyond science and religion Jonathan thank you very much for your time it's been a pleasure Thanks talking with you it was a pleasure thank you You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.